Buzz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, it's a pleasure. And it's always funny when people say that because like, I feel like I invade everybody's space when I come to do these podcasts. I've been to so many people's apartments, so many gyms. We're in your awesome base gym at the moment. Been kind enough to have us in. Mate, talk me through this facility first because this place is impressive. Thank you for noticing. Now, the thing <laughs> is, yeah, we do have you at our place because I've kind of set this place up for podcasts, but I haven't really gotten into my own. So it's like, you know, come and we've got it all set up. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, yeah, so this place is kind of like, uh, the toy that I always wanted growing up in the fitness industry. So I started off uh, working at a commercial gym, thinking about the things that are good, things that are bad, and how I would make it different. And then uh, finally, after 10 years of being a personal trainer, I was at a point where now I get to do all of that. Uh, and of course, it could be better. There's so much room for improvement with everything. There's no such thing as perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what you're seeing here is pretty much for the space that we've got here, uh, which for those uh, listening at home, uh, I think it's just over 200 square meters, but that's occupied by office space and bathrooms as well. So mm. of, of usable gym space, it's probably about 150 square meters. I don't know what it is in feet, so, so Google that. Yeah, uh, do the conversions yourself. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, right. In Australia, we talk uh, square meters. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so it's about 150 square meters, which isn't a huge amount of space. Um, and, and what I've done with this space is just put the best of all of the stuff that I like as well as the stuff that is used in competition. Mm. So some of the stuff in my competition I actually don't like. But in, in so I'm a I'm a powerlifter. Yeah. Um, but in powerlifting, whether you like it or not, you've got no choice. You, you have to use, to use that. Yeah. Uh, and it just it it makes sense to train with that equipment. So so that's what this is. It's a combination of what I consider to be my favorite pieces of equipment and the pieces of equipment that you must be using in competition. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's it. So. I love my space. No, it's awesome. And honestly, like, can I just go back to the bathrooms for a second? All right. <laughs> the All bathrooms right. in here are unreal, man. Like, Did you take a selfie in the selfie mirror? I haven't taken a selfie in the selfie mirror You know yet, what to do before that. you leave. I need to, yeah. But normally get a little bit of a pump first. And I'm just kind of, I'm dieting that's, in the that's moment. That's true. And, we'll yeah. do it next time you have a training session here. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I guess can I actually look like I lift. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. What do you weigh at the moment? I'm, embar I'm embarrassed to say um, I'm about 98 kilograms. Okay. It's the first time I've been under 100 in about a decade. Okay. And it was by accident. <laughs> so I, I was sitting on 100 kilograms. So never below like 100 point something for the past two years. And, and you know, I took a lot of pride in saying that. It's like I've nailed my nutrition. I eat pretty much the same thing every day. Yeah. Pretty much. Give or take. But I'm never under 100. Okay. Uh, my friends in Iceland say if you go under 100, you are no longer male. Oh, okay. So... Uh, in Iceland, I'm no longer male. Okay. So I can't that's... go to, well, I can go to Iceland, but I'll be a female. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah right. That's so yeah. if I go back, I need to put on two more kilograms. <laughs> yeah, well, that's bad news for me because I just ticked over to 89 today. <laughs> so if you I don't know, if I'm, just, I'm a child in Iceland. Yeah, <laughs> they are big over there. Oh, they are big people. And uh, we'll come on to um, some of the Iceland stuff in a bit sure. because we want to talk about a specific athlete that you do train who a lot of people listening are going to know. Sure. Um, but before we get there, um, I do want to dive into your powerlifting background a little bit because I know you've spoken a lot before, like you're obviously now weighing, we'll say 100, we'll round you up. Yeah, we'll say 100. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend it's 100. We'll tick it up. You've had a couple of meals Thank today. you. We'll say 100 Much kilos. appreciated. But a few years ago, you know, before COVID and all that sort of stuff, while you were still actively training a lot of powerlifting, you were really heavy right like you were around what were you 120 125 or something at the time no i got to 118 was my peak. 118 okay um and and i was working towards competing in the 125 class which is okay. where i would have continued to get heavier 
Uh, but then it just became a little bit impractical. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about because a lot of people kind of, they focus on, massive focus on social media at the moment by just getting big, yeah. right? It's like a hormone recently put out like stay puffy and all that sort of stuff. And it's a, it's a good feeling, especially for us guys. Like we want to get big, we want to mm. put on size, but then the practical ramifications that can come with putting on that much size and getting that strong. Like I imagine in the gym, lifts were moving absolute butter. It was the only thing in the world that I was good at. Yeah, I was okay, getting yeah. under a barbell and lifting whatever weight you put on me. I was yeah. really strong, which was very fun. But every other function of life, like doing up my shoelaces, um, walking across the road, yeah, well, yeah. W was a challenge for me. And it's, it got to a point where I just started realizing this is not healthy. And uh, like I literally, I, was, I used to snore when I was awake. Oh, okay, wow, yeah. Yeah, I needed a CPAP machine to sleep. My daughter would record me sleeping and it sounded like a, a chainsaw. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it doesn't sound like snoring. It was the most obscure noise. Yeah. And um, I said to her, what's that? She's like, that's you snoring, dad. <laughs> and, and that was kind of my wake-up call to, you know, it's nice and fun to be strong, but there's more to life than that, right? Yeah, and I think that's something that people miss a lot in, like, well, technically we are the health industry, right? We're health and fitness. <laughs> yep. But there's become this massive focus on the fitness side. I think people forget about the health side sometimes. They see this, like, and let's be real, being as strong as you are and have been is pretty freaking cool, let's be real. It was super um, cool. You yep. know, and being, you know, jacked as a bodybuilder, getting on stage, being bigger than a lot of people, it would be a pretty cool feeling. Yep. And if you're winning things and you're getting those accolades, it must feel great. But as you said there, when it then becomes a detriment to your day to day, it's like, how long can you actually do that for realistically? Um, yeah, it, it depends on how you do it, mm. right? And I, I will tell you right now, there are people that are doing it great. Mm. There are people that factor in their health. And I think that this is where uh, working towards a, a weight class really comes into play and sticking yeah. to that weight class. So when I was in the 110 class, 110 kilograms, which is uh, 242 pounds, um, that was a good size for me. That was quite big for my height, um, 5'11", and not so big that it was really unhealthy. Yeah. But when COVID happened, I didn't care about all that. I got to a point where it was like, you know what? There's no competitions coming up in a while. I'm just going to eat more and see what happens. Yeah, okay. And as I did that, I got stronger, and then it was a slippery slope. So then it got to a point where I was just eating more and more and lifting more and more, and it was really, really, really fun. And then it just got to a point where I was just determined to compete at a higher weight class and really push it. And unfortunately, because it was COVID, everything was postponed. All of the competitions were called off. Um, and this is another point is, you know, the body can't peak all year round. Yeah. Uh, so when I coach myself and when I coach athletes, like we work towards a competition date mm. and we give ourselves time to peak for that date, but we never... Like we're not that strong all year round. Um, so I, you know, I thought, you know what, I'll peak for a competition. And then that competition, it was like a 16 week prep and then it was postponed. And they said, it's gonna be on in like 12 more weeks from, or whatever it was. And they postponed it three times. And it ended up being close to a year of me trying to hold this peak. Yeah, wow. and, and close to a year of me trying to walk around at this body weight. And that's when I just said, enough is enough. Uh, if it was for just like the first competition date as per schedule, uh, it would have been great fun. I would have competed and then I would have dropped the body weight. Yeah. But trying to hold it for that long, it really changed the way that I 
saw the sport and saw the way that I was approaching the sport. Yeah. Okay, but the way that I was approaching the sport is also very common. Yeah. Which is eat big, lift big. Right? And this is where it gets to a point at the highest level where it is an extreme sport and it's not healthy. Yeah. Okay, so 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 now it just came to a point where I've got two kids. I got a family, I got a business and I need to be alive. Uh, more importantly than I need to squat over 400 kilograms and, and, and set all of these records. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's nice to be strong, but it's nicer to be alive. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there that like there are going to be people who want to pursue that forever because yeah. that's their real why and they're going to chase after that. And it's like fair play to them. You know, I think that about bodybuilding sometimes. I'm yeah. like, you know what, fair play, if your whole thing is that that's what you want to do and you're going to do that as long as you can, you're going to run yourself into the ground doing it cool you know it's no real different right i know monetary wise it's going to be different but it's no real different really to watching like footballers go and play way past they should be knees are gone hips are gone ankles are gone and you kind of think what have you really done that for but they love it and that's their thing but when you've got other priorities you've got other things to do you know we'll get on to kind of what it is you do outside of powerlifting in a second because you do a lot of things and there's a huge umbrella to what makes up sebastian arab um but you do have to then start taking those considerations and going actually where do I want to be in 10 years time? Where do I want to be in 20 years? That's, that's, that's the fact. And I just wanted to touch up um, on, on a point that you made, like everyone wants to do it forever. And, and that's the mentality that I had as well. But then you get to a point, like I am 42 years old and you can't do that forever yeah. at, at that level. You just can't. But when you're young, you think you can. You think that you're bulletproof. You think that you're Superman. Um, and, and it's just not how it works. So that's how I was in my 30s. And I remember there was not a care in the world. But then when, uh, you know, like my blood pressure was through the roof. Like when I, when I, I told you I was snoring while I was awake, I needed a CPAP machine to help me sleep. Yeah. That's when I was getting my blood pressure tested and it was heart attack levels, right? So, so that was when I had to make a change. So you think you, like a lot of, and I've seen it so many times, I work with a lot of young athletes um, that do a lot of things that are very extreme and there's an expiry date to that. And that's yeah. what a lot of young people in the industry, even, even bodybuilding, um, they they don't realize it uh, until it's too late. Too late. So so actually, it was actually a nice thing turning forty for me when I, you know, turned that leaf uh, in my life and I started realizing uh, health is really important. And I've taken my approach to coaching a very different way right now. So I used to the way that I was with myself was do what it takes, do what it takes to win um, at all costs. That's how I was with a lot of my athletes. Now my approach to my athletes is a lot more conservative. I factor in health over everything else. Yeah, okay. So it's more that longevity kind of base with them because it's you want them to about be longevity. doing it for yep. as long as possible as well. Yep. And, and what does that look like if you're putting that into practical terms? So if you've got, you know, to, to take Hathor, for example, yep. you know, because he's lost a lot of weight over the last couple of years as well. And obviously there's been that approach for more longevity since because he's mm. stopped Strongman now, hasn't he? He's, he's uh, coming back to Strongman. He's coming back to Strongman. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, what does that conversation look like? Because I imagine all of these athletes are very like, no, I will do what it takes. That's why they're there. Yep. Especially someone like that who has got so many incredible accolades. You know, what does that conversation look like with the, with the, the conversation is it's not just with Hafthor. I, I coach a lot of people over 150 kilograms. Mm. And it's a conversation that I have with all of them. It's understanding what we're here to do for competition and then understanding that we can't maintain that. So once competition peak is over, then we talk about now it's time to lose weight. Now it's time to increase your cardio. Now it's time to refine your diet. 
um, so that you are healthier and so that we can then think of a competition date later on and, and do it again rather than just keeping on pushing heavier and heavier and lifting more and more and more. Um, you know, Thor didn't run into any health, health risks. So he's my biggest, heaviest and strongest athlete that yeah. I've ever worked with. And, and that makes sense because he's the strongest man in the world, right? Yeah. Remind everyone what the deadlift was. So that was a 501 kilogram deadlift. Unreal. Um, as well as, so 2018 was, uh, he competed and won in every single thing event there was to win. And that was the best performance of any strength athlete in history. Unreal. That was the highest performing Unreal. year. So world's strongest man, Arnold's Europe's strongest man, world's ultimate strongman, Iceland's strongest man. And then he did a powerlifting show at the end of the year for fun and totaled 1,100 kilograms. So, so that year for Hafthor was was monumental. It was yeah. better than anyone's ever performed. And and we didn't really factor anything. It was just like, let's take this to the limit. Yeah. You know, we didn't factor in health. And, and lucky for him, um, nothing bad happened. Um, and and he's, the trajectory of his career changed a lot with boxing and it forced him, um, you know, the whole thing with boxing to, to lose 50 kilograms. And I think that was, uh, you know, by, by mistake. So mm. his goal wasn't health. Yeah. His goal was to just take on the next challenge, which was a fight against Eddie Hall. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that was the best thing that happened to his health. Uh, but yeah, now, now he's back to strongman. So those are the things that I factor in with. All, I, I've learned so much from working with Thor. So, you know, technically I'm his coach, but, but that guy's taught me more than anyone yeah, uh, with, sure. with things like human potential and how to eat food and how to, um, you know, hard work, determination, what it takes to be number one in the world. That's, that's new to me. Yeah, okay. Right? And, and uh, so I learned so much of someone like Hafthor that I'm able to now... So I didn't think like this b before COVID. So before, so COVID was then pretty much Thor retired. Yeah. So, so this mentality of, of prioritizing health above everything else, as dumb as it sounds, uh, that's, that's only a new thing for me. And I should have really prioritized it a lot longer ago. Um, but yeah, that, that's when it was. I suppose you got to deal with what's in front of you, right? You know, and it's, as you said before, it's like for me... I'm 27 years old, you know, I'm still in that kind of, I probably should be pushing hard. I probably should be doing this. I probably should be doing like in all areas of life, in my business, in my kind of personal pursuits, in my training, it's always hard on myself for taking that day off or taking that extra little bit of rest when in reality, that actually could be the catalyst and then sets me up for another really good 12 weeks, which could then be another catalyst to set me up for a really good 12 months. And it's knowing when to take that foot off the gas, I suppose a little bit, but you're right. A lot of us just kind of go, there's so much hustle culture. There's so much hard work culture that it bleeds into everything. And we're kind of like, actually, I'm not working hard enough. I'm not doing enough. And I suppose there is an element of that. Like if you want to be, I have thought, if you want to be the strongest man in the world, you're going to have to go and fuck some shit up, right? Like you've got to really push hard. But as you said, being able to then kind of take that step back. But one question I've always wanted to ask you, how the fuck does that conversation come about going, you know what, I'm just going to pick up the heaviest barbell of all time. Like, was that something that he rang you up one day and he's like, we're doing this? Was it something that you guys had thought ever since? Because I imagine the thought must have been there as soon as you saw Eddie do his deadlift. No. No? No, it wasn't. I thought when Eddie Hall did it, I thought that was the impossible. Okay. And Thor didn't have that on his radar either. It was all about winning World's Strongest Man. That was sure. his highest priority. So I met Thor in 2016 and he came to me uh, to do a seminar with me. Uh, and this was an arrangement uh, with a company called SodaStream. They paid him to come over and they paid me 
to align with him and run the seminars. Huge opportunity. I just wanted to be in the room with Thor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when they said, you're going to host a seminar with him, it's like, this is, how good is this? And then they said, and we're going to pay you to do it. <laughs> you know, it just didn't get better, but it yeah, did get yeah. better because after that seminar, it was a really successful day. And he asked me to be his coach because he was obviously, he saw something in me that he wanted in his, in his training. And so he asked me to be his coach to train him for World's Strongest Man. And actually the very first competition that I went to was Europe's Strongest Man in 2016. The world record deadlift was, uh, I think it was uh, 463 or four kilograms. And Eddie Hall was going for the 500 mm. and no one believed it was going to happen. I didn't. Yeah. And, and actually there's a video on Netflix where you see my reaction uh, okay, when yeah. it happened and it was pure disbelief. Yeah, yeah. And I was happy to, I loved it. So yeah, did yeah. Thor actually. He didn't think, no one thought it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, just the reaction of one of the world's strongest men of all time, Bill Kazmaier. I remember him saying to me before this, not to me, to everyone there. He's like, to do 500, you need to do 450 for five. And I don't see anyone doing that. Yeah. And I thought that's pretty good perspective coming from, you know, someone who's arguably one of the world's strongest men uh, in history. And yeah, we just decided it's not happening. And then he broke the world record, 465. That was his last warm up, and it yeah. flew. And there was a lot of disbelief in the crowd. It's like, this is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then it happened, that 500 kilograms. And, and it wasn't a goal of Thor's to get the 500 then. Okay. Thor's goal was to win world's strongest man. And, and he came second in world's strongest man that year. And, uh, you know, and then he worked on just, just coming first. And as a result of, of uh, training for world's strongest man with me, something that he was lacking was his, uh, his emphasis on the static lifts. Okay. So before I met Thor, he was just, you know, bigger and stronger than everyone and could do all of the strongman events really well. Like, you know, picking up big Atlas stones, he was seen as the best in the world. Truck pulling, seen as the best in the world. Um, throwing big heavy objects as, as high as possible mm. in the air over a bar, he was the best in the world. But then when it came to the static lifts, I don't want to say he was weak at it, but compared to the best in the world, that, that was relatively his weak point. Okay. So he knew that I specialized in static lifts as a power lifter. And uh, that was the, the perfect combination, was, was teaching him how to be statically strong. So, so when I first met him, it was just certain things. I, I'd never coached a strongman. Um, and that's not what he needed. He needed okay. structure in his training and he needed help with his static lifts. And I looked at all of his lifts and I thought, he's absolutely coachable. Like the way that he's doing these lifts is, is not efficient. You know, he did a, a, a 450 kilogram deadlift, mm. hitched the hell out of it. Yeah. That was at Europe's strongest man before I'd met him. And as strong as that, like 450, that's, that's freakishly strong. Yeah. But it was so far from good technique. Yeah. Uh, and then if you look at how he did 501 kilograms, it was beautiful technique. Yeah, so you're looking at that and you're going... There's potential there. Like yeah. We so can... like I asked him a few questions and I said, you know, what, what are your numbers? Like how much, I know what your deadlift is. How much do you squat? And he said, I don't know. Like I kind of squat 200 kilograms for reps. It's not a priority of mine because it's usually not an event in strongman. So I just use it just to keep kind of leg strength. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's strange. To be the world's strongest man, you should be able to squat 400 kilograms, don't you think? And he said, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, why, don't, why don't we emphasize some squatting into your training, right? So we started doing that. Uh, long story short, in his powerlifting competition, 
he was he was red lighted on this for depth, which was questionable. But he squatted, he went down with four hundred and sixty kilograms and stood up again. Oh. So not only did we get him to four hundred, we got him to four hundred and sixty. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, and and during that process, everything was getting stronger. So it wasn't just the squat that we were working on. Strategically, we we trained all of his static movements and continued to include his strongman events. And everything he he came to a point where he had no weak points. Yeah. Then we got to a point where he was uh, he he then achieved the world record in the uh, elephant bar deadlift. It was four hundred and seventy four kilograms. Oh yeah, I with, saw this, with no yeah. suit. And, and actually, the next year he attempted five hundred and one raw with no suit. Um, so he just got stronger and stronger. And then it got to so when I met him in two thousand sixteen, he wasn't going for that record because it wasn't in his sights. Yeah, yeah. But then after you know two years of working together. Um, his numbers went up and up and up. And then it was like, yeah, I think we got this. And, and he did. He got it. Yeah, he got it pretty easy as well. It was like, nice. You know, like you say easy, like it's never going to be easy picking up 501 kilograms. <laughs> but like, I remember watching it and being like... There's more in the tank. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, you know, I I never saw the Eddie Hall thing in real time. It was yeah. only kind of after I sort of got into lifting. I was yeah. like, holy shit sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously when he brought it up, you know, it, it looked like a world record it was like oh my god yeah. sort of thing yeah whereas i remember watching the thor stream live and being like what <laughs> i was like totally that's right. just gone like straight yeah up. yeah um, were you guys confident of i mean obviously you're probably pretty confident by your reaction there um kind of leading in but how do you then prep for that like if you're doing unknown territory basically at that yeah. point because I assume he didn't pick up 500 in training no. prior to the competition so how are you gauging that um as you're kind of peaking for that competition a few weeks out, like what are you looking at to kind of go, yeah, I'm confident that we've got this? Great question. A lot of people ask like, you know, how many times did he deadlift that in training to be able to get that in competition? And the answer is no chance. Like he's a yeah. really smart athlete. Um, these lifts take a lot of time to recover from. Yeah. Um, so it makes no sense to, to perform your records at home when it doesn't count. Mm. So none of his lifts in training are as heavy as his competition lift. He knows how to put it all out on the platform. Mm. Uh, and he's very good at that. He's very good at rising to the occasion as well. So um, everything is the numbers game. And, and I love how you said that. It's uncharted territories. Mm. Everything that we did was uncharted territories. And I had to learn to take my emotional view or logical thought out of the programming process. So I'm programming numbers for him that are impossible because they've not been done before. Yeah. And so I have to start stop thinking about the, the logic yeah. of this hasn't been done before. It was just a, a maths game. And that's all it was. It was, it was a, a long-term goal that we had and we just strategically uh, loaded and deloaded and loaded and deloaded and just kept on, you know, uh, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And it was a long procedure. Mm. Um, and we knew that he was strong enough for it. Of course, anything can go wrong with those loads. But actually, uh, I'll tell you a conversation that we were having was, what if it goes up easily? I want to go for 520. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? And I remember saying to him, I know you're good enough for it. However, let's get 501. Yeah. Let's worry about how you're going to feel after uh, and he got 501 and then he's like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, good call. Like, yeah. you know, could he have gone heavier? Who knows? Hindsight. 
It looked like there was more. Yeah. I'll tell you now, if 510 was on the bar, it probably would have come up. Yeah. But after doing 501, he would have been really fatigued. So yeah. so I think that it wouldn't have happened. If he attempted any, if he attempted 501 again, it probably wouldn't have come up the second time. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. it's such a, you can't disrespect that number. We yeah. don't know what that's like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but I do believe if 510 was on the bar during that lift, it would have come up. The way that the 501 moved, Oh, mate, yeah, flew. Yeah. And it, it I suppose nicely. It's, it's psychologically, right, isn't it? He's risen himself up for that moment. And totally. really it's then, as you said, it wouldn't have mattered in that range what weight was on the bar, yeah. 501, 505, 510. Yeah. It would have come up because yeah. he was so focused, so ready to go. Correct. But like, I mean, my best deadlift ever is only 200 kilograms. <laughs> and that fucked me. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, you know, I'm laughing like, not because it's a laughable number, but it's just no, like no, but it's, when we compare ourselves with yeah, that, it is laughable. Exactly, man. And like, I'm not the same. Two and a half times my best one rep max deadlift. Yeah. And it, that absolutely floored me for like a week, yeah. you know? I was kind of like I can't pick anything up. Like I don't yeah. want to. I feel I feel flat. So I can't imagine having that occasion around it, and then having all those people kind of watching, not just there, but on stream and all that yeah. sort of stuff. You've trained it, trained for it for that long, um, <clears throat> and also, like he would, as you said, he would have been picking up numbers in the four hundreds previously, yeah. and having to amp himself up for that, and then having to amp yourself another. You know, when you say 10%, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's that much fucking weight, another 10% is a lot of kilos, yeah. you know? So yeah, that would have been, that would have been pretty incredible. But I like what you touched on there in terms of, there's no fancy methods. You know, this guy is the strongest man in the world, but there's no fancy methods. It's just load, deload, knowing when to push things, knowing when to pull back. And I think, especially in social media at the moment, when it comes to training for muscle gain, when it comes to training for strength, Everyone overcomplicates the shit out of everything because it sounds cool. And mm. it's like, it's nice to sound like you've got something fresh and something mm -hmm, to put out mm -hmm. there. But I know from doing some of your seminars, obviously speaking to you off camera as well, you know, think you like to simplify things. Mm. You know, you want things to be as simple for the athlete as possible. And when we say athlete, it's anyone in front of you. I love that. Like we filmed a video here with James Smith a few months ago with you. And as soon as he came in, you're like, right, well, we're going to treat you like you're breaking the world record for the deadlift, you know? everyone in front of you is treated like an athlete and it's always nailing it down to the simplest things. You know, you don't over cue. You don't sit there and say, yeah, we're going to do percentage. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, can you go heavier? Yeah. Fucking go heavier then. Like, you know, um, is that something that you've always kind of approached coaching with like that nice so simplified? Simplicity. Yes. But yeah. The approach of, can you, <coughs> like the way that you saw me treating James Smith mm. uh, in, in uh, the YouTube video, which is available on his page. Yep. Everyone can out. go check that out. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool video. I, yeah. I loved that day. Um, but that approach, I've definitely become better as a coach, and I do believe that you know, as I said, I've I've lost um, the thought of you know human potential when I associate people with the numbers, mm. um, and I just know that like disassociate what's humanly possible. Um, and and Thor taught me to do that. You know, Thor taught me a huge amount about. A, a human potential that made me so much stronger as an athlete just by understanding how limited we are by our belief systems. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I've always treated people like athletes. So when I call, I don't like to call. So as personal trainers, we typically call our clients clients. clients yeah. and, and I don't like that because I become friends with my clients. And something that I, this is one of the one of my gripes with, with personal training is I'll hang out with my client who is my friend and then I'll refer to them and introduce them to someone as my client. It's like, that's not my client. It's so... Suddenly swings, doesn't it? It's yeah, like, right. Oh, so it's on, like, like, no, I don't like that term. He's not my yeah. client. He's my friend. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, no, so that's it. It's one of my athletes. 
you know, so it's like a nice way to treat them. Uh, and it's, it's nice for them to hear. So that's right. I treated everyone like an athlete. Now, now back to the, the point of, of simplifying things, that's just based on my own journey. So I was one of those who would try and complicate all these tasks. Uh, and I thought that it was complex, mm. which Albert Einstein quote uh, is, if you don't know how to explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's how it was. So a lot of the times you, you might hear me trying to explain something and it takes me a long time to do it. And it's like, I'll stop in my tracks and I'll say, it's taking me too long to explain this. I don't know it well enough. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right? Um, but the fact is, there are certain things with lifting weights that are a lot simpler than what people make it. A lot of people look at things that just don't need to be looked at. Um, and and um, this is my problem growing up in the industry. In the first 10 years, I was doing so many things wrong. And I spent so many hours of my day under barbells and lifting weights, trying to follow these optimal programs, trying to find the magic pill. And I learned so much um, about what to prioritize. Um, and what I consider to be the magic pill is lifting technique. Mm. So these are things that eventually were introduced to me by some of the best athletes in the world. So I'll, I'll name them. My, my best mentor that I ever had was Ernie Lillibridge Sr. Mm. So that's the father of Eric Lillibridge. Eric Lillibridge was a world champion in the 140 kilogram weight class powerlifting, squatted 480 kilograms. Working with him, I met him in uh, 2014. I had a 260 kilogram squat. In two years, he took me to 360 kilograms. Right? Yeah. And it's just like, how does that happen? And yeah. it's, it's what happens when you work with people that have done it before. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they taught me the value of lifting technique. It's an interesting thing. A lot of people t say these days how focusing on perfect technique makes you weak. I totally disagree with that statement. Um, it's something that you will never hear from any of the strongest athletes on the planet. Um, so, so I totally disagree with that. And that was what I considered to be the magic pill. So when I was introduced to good lifting technique from the strongest athletes in the world, and I introduced it to other people successfully, including myself, I started getting stronger. Other people I work with started getting stronger. That's precisely uh, the main ingredient that I changed with Half Thor's coaching. Mm. Uh, and, and we made him one of the strongest athletes in history yeah um so so that was the magic pill strength and is a skill right strength is a skill and there's so much to that skill such as the feeling of that heavy load on your body mastering yeah. that skill uh and, and it's a process that a lot of people don't know until they've been in the situation which is something that i love about uh coaches who practice what they preach yeah okay and that's something that i always wanted to do for my athletes and it's probably a large reason why Hafthor chose me to be his coach is because he knew that i was strong yeah um and i'd been in that position before so something that i say a lot of the times when someone comes into the room when i'm training that has never really lifted heavy and they come in and they cheer for me it's it's noise and it's distracting mm. but when i'm working around if it if you've ever seen any of my videos where i'm lifting really heavy oh, weights yeah. Yeah. The people around me are all phenomenally strong. Yeah. I've got so many Australian record holders. I'm so lucky to have them around me in my team. They're my athletes and I'm their athlete as well. Like yeah. we're just a part of a team. And when they're cheering me on, when they scream at me, it means something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then and then some lovely character that walks in has never heard of seen training heavy before and they go, <laughs> you know, go bass. It's like Good squat press, Baz. Right, right. Good squat press. Good squat press. <laughs> Love that. It's, you know, I don't want to sound like a dick, but it's like, no, but I I'd, it. I'd, yeah. I'd rather they didn't do that. That was really distracting. Yeah. And, and so that's why 
I have a gym like this where it is, uh, you know, limited access uh, and uh, people don't just walk in on the session. It's like everyone's on the same mission together. Yeah, well, that's it. Like it's, it's essentially separating the people who actually want to achieve that goal and the people who say they want to achieve that goal. Because there is a lot of that in our industry. And we, yep. you know, you've worked in a fitness first before, you've know, worked in commercial gyms and stuff. I've worked in commercial gyms. I still work in a boutique gym with people. And I'm very lucky that now I've been doing this for long enough that I work with a lot more people who actually want to do the thing. Mm. But when you start out, you do, you work with a lot of people, you get in the console, they sit across from you and they're like, I'm ready to go, let's do it. And by session two, you're like, you're 30 minutes late, where the fuck are you? Yep. And you never hear from them again, you yep. know? And it's, you want to separate as many of those people out. And I think personal trainers like get caught in this all the time because they're just told, take as many as you can get, take as mm. many as you can get to. And for a little while, it's great. You make good money, it's awesome. You make, you know, 90 bucks for an hour session and you do 40 sessions a week really good money good money you know, especially if you're early 20s when you know i think you started in your late teens early 20s right as well early 20s and it was you know inflation is the thing and i was earning 70 dollars an hour which yeah, was incredible money. money i thought i was stealing from my clients <laughs> yeah. and uh they wanted to pay me and i was like are you freaking serious yeah. you're paying me 70 bucks an hour to hang out with you while you train yeah for me it was robbery uh, but for them, it was hugely beneficial. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, it is beneficial. And yeah. I've paid a lot more for coaches yeah. to work with me, a lot more than 70 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, and I charge a lot more than 70 bucks an hour as well because I understand the value. Yes. Um, but but the, the thing is, you know, there's, there's so many tangents that we can go on with this. When I think about, um, you know, tips to personal trainers out there, I, I don't like devaluing the, that stage. Mm. So I've coached with, I've trained so many people that, say they want to do it and they're never going to do it. Um, and I think it's important for a coach to learn how to work with these people, you know, so, so that we can learn how people tick. Exactly. There are so many different people in the world, so many different personalities. And, you know, a lot of people come to me with the goal of, I want to coach professional athletes. I want to coach the best of the best. Um, th there's a process to doing that. And it yeah. might not be, I say, be careful what you wish for. Um, you know, early in my career, when I first started training professional athletes, they were sponsored. Mm. Professionals won't come up to me saying, hey, I heard you're the man. Uh, I want to pay you for coaching. And, and neither did Hafthor, actually. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, what would you train? What would you charge Hafthor? You know, I saw it as a huge opportunity. This guy's, I wanted him to be number one. Yeah. And I knew he could. And it's like, I want this opportunity. This was my passion. He said, what do you want for, for coaching? And I said, no. Nothing yeah. from you, man. Like, I want this opportunity. And I said, well, if you want to do something, how about this? When you win World's Strongest Man, let's create a program and sell it and go 50-50. And for him, A, he's getting a free trainer and yeah. B, he's, he's getting a new business, a new product that he can sell and make money from that he wouldn't have done without me. Yeah. Um, so for him, it was just a no-brainer. But for me to be able to offer that service to him and it not be an expense to him um, was was. I'd have to say it's a large reason why he kept working with me for. Yeah. Well, it, it since showcases dedication from you, right? Because a lot of people come into this industry thinking I can make really good money, yep. and they hear that they hear our oh, seventy bucks a session, ninety bucks a session. If I work thirty hours, I'm going to make so much more than I would yep. in retail. Blah blah blah, and that's why so many trainers don't last is because they don't actually love training people. Yep. They don't love solving problems, and that's the thing is like you know hearing that you clearly went okay. I see something in him. There's some problems that I can solve. I'm really excited to get to the bottom of all of this and I can't wait to see where it takes us because oh, yeah. I think he's going to do really fucking oh, well. Yeah. And you can put that on any level. You can have, you know, Joe and Jane come in for a session and you look at them and you go, 
yeah, you know what? I think there's something in you and I think you're going to lose those 30 kilos that you want. You're going to live a much better, healthier life. Your kids are going to see you as they grow up with a good example and stuff. And it's like, you then go, let's get to work. I want to solve those problems. I want to get to what makes you tick. And that's showing the people who actually love coaching rather than just the people who want to come into the industry for the sake of it. And they're the people that succeed as coaches. So yeah. this is where the business gets a bad reputation. And a lot of people come in and they say, there's no money in the industry. It's like, well, there's no money in the industry if you suck at what you're doing. <laughs> there's um, no money in any industry if you suck at what you're doing. Precisely. Right? Like, yeah. And it's the same on the flip side. People say that it's a flooded industry. It is, mm. but there's always room for good people. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen many people that come into the industry and within a very short time become extremely successful. Mm. Um, and then some come in and look at the glamour of personal training and get to charge whatever this hourly rate is, You know, call it $100 an hour because that's not uncommon. Mm. Um, and they get no clients because they have no passion for it. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then they walk out of the industry saying it's a flooded industry and it sucks and there's yeah. no money in It's in saturated. It's saturated it's like, industry. It's like, but saturated doesn't mean competitive. You know, Correct. at the end of the day, it's like, you know, all sports are saturated, right? Like when you do Every power, industry is saturated. Yeah, like you'd be thinking like powerlifting is saturated, yeah. but it's only this handful of people that ever win the competitions down the line and go on to really be, you know, top dogs, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I love my favorite sports, football or soccer for all you Australians. <laughs> uh, you know, but like that is the most played sport on the planet. But, you know, it's it's not that competitive to be the top five, yeah. really, because there's only five players that are ever going to be yeah. like the ones that everyone goes, I want to be them. I want to be the mm. Ronaldo. I want to be the Messi. Mm. It's like, oh, we've got two players. Oh, they're retiring. It's Mbappé and Hart. Like, it's always the same two guys that then mm. get mentioned. So it's like, what can you do to then be competitive? What can you do to drown out the rest of the saturation? What can you do to get to the top of the pile in anything? Yeah. Um, so actually, to come back to your days as a PT, because this is a question I really want to ask you. Um, we were talking before about how, you know, it, when you work as a personal trainer, you always get it from everyone. So what are you doing next? What are you doing next? Because this can't be forever. This is going to be your five years until your mid-20s, but then you're going to want a proper job, right? And it's like, okay, thanks, Susan. Um, was that something that then, because you've done a fuck ton, <laughs> like since you were in commercial gyms, like your business has just gone level to level to level to level. You've kind of changed identity a little bit in that, which is awesome. You kind of progressed and evolved. But was that something that then kind of really pushed you to be doing that? Did you kind of have this drive of like, you know what, like, fuck you. I'm going to do something with this and I'm going to keep at this because I love this and I'm going to make something of this in a wider spectrum. Or was that something that right from the start you were like, I don't care what you think sort of thing. I definitely cared. And there's so many levels to everything that you discussed that I can relate to. When I started in the industry, I didn't think that it was my forever job. Mm. I th was convinced there was no money in the industry. Uh, and in fact, I came in the industry by accident. So I always loved coaching and training people and training myself was my passion. Uh, and then I was given the advice from a very successful uh, CEO in a building company uh, that there's no money in the fitness industry, don't do that. So I thought that raises a good point because I do want to be successful in my life and there's no point uh, trying to, to pursue a career in something that I can't be successful in. So anyway, so I thought, okay, and he offered me a job in, in a building company as a facilities manager, as a stepping stone to get to somewhere big later on in the corporate world, in sure, the building yeah. industry. Uh, and I sucked at that job because I hated it because it sucked. Yeah. And so I didn't want to perform and I, and I was made redundant, actually. So this redundancy was a small payout that allowed me to have a little bit of time and luxury to look for a job um, that was going to be meaningful for me. 
And in this time, uh, a very good friend of mine said to me, he was doing his certification to become a personal trainer. And he said, you should come and do it with me. And I said, there's no money in the industry. Yeah. And he said, well, what are you doing anyway? And I said, I'm looking for a job. And he goes, why don't you just do it with me until you find your job? And I thought, oh, you got a point. Like, why yeah. don't I? I, yeah. I had a bit of money. What have I got to lose? I had yeah. nothing yeah. to lose. I was zero. I was at zero with a little bit of money in my account from the redundancy payout. And so I started personal tra- I started my certification. Um, and then I ha- still hadn't found my job. And I thought, you know what? I might get a job as a personal trainer just in the interim started personally training for 70 bucks an hour in my early 20s um, and I very quickly got to about 30 hours of clientele per week which isn't an easy task mm. but because I was good at my job um, I was good at it and more people wanted to train with me so I had you know 30 hours of clientele in the first few months which for me as a young kid a couple of thousand dollars a week oh, yeah. it got me a long way and it's it was more than I'd ever earned um, and it was more than I was going to earn starting at the bottom of any industry, mm. right? So um, I got comfortable and, you know, I thought the next year, how am I going to make more money? I'll up my rate. So I went from 70 bucks an hour to 80 bucks an hour and I kept on doing that process and I didn't really have much in mind for where I'm going to progress. And as you said, you know, Susan says, where are you going to, you can't do this forever. What are you going to do? Uh, which I, I agree personally training to ever for, forever you know, what happens when I'm 50 years old? I don't want yeah. to be a 50-year-old personal trainer. I can't be one at 60. People aren't going to want to train with me no matter how much energy I have. I'm out today in the nursing home there. I can see you like at 75 hey, years look, old getting people to bench one true, relaxes. Like, true, right? Like we can see it. <laughs> true. But I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. And uh, so I thought I need to have an answer because I wasn't that forward thinking at that point. I was just thinking about the now, which was, you know, 70 to 80 to $90 an hour. I was making... Um, you know, three grand a week, three to four thousand dollars a week, eventually, and it was good money. Mm. Uh, but then the catalysts for me to push further was was I became a father at the age of twenty eight. So I had my first daughter. Uh, her name is Tiani, and I I do a lot of training with her, and and I post. She's her on, strong. She's great. Very she's awesome. strong. She's awesome. So so a lot of people know her now through social media. Um, we protect her mum. My wife uh, is very protective over her. Uh, you know, people knowing who she is. So a lot of, like, she's not allowed social media or any of those things. Yeah, fair um, enough. But, you know, I, I, I'm proud of my girl and I just want to show her off, you know, and I think she's awesome. Uh, but either way, that was the catalyst for me saying, holy shit, um, I need to be a man now. I need to do something with my life and I'm too far into this industry to start somewhere else. I'm going to start doubling down on this. Okay. And... This is when I started spending a lot of my time, money and effort on educating myself, working with mentors and spending every minute that I had making myself better. And in my area, so this is where, you know, I started, you know, pay, paying for education. And uh, one of my courses, one of the early courses that I did was a diploma in sport. Uh, and the end of year assignment was to coach to write a program for a professional athlete. Mm. And I thought, I'm not just going to write a program. I know a professional athlete. I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the time when, yeah, it, was, nice. when it was in its infancy in Australia yeah. and there was not many academies and all of the people that were at the academies were, that's where all the professional fighters were. So I became friends with some of the pro fighters and I offered one of them uh, free coaching. Do you mind if I coach you for free for your next fight? Yeah. And he's like, for sure, love that idea. Um, so 
I became known as simple as that. So I offered him like free training. Yeah. I became known just from having one person as the coach of the pros. Yeah, yeah. As as uh, trivial as that is, is like, yeah, I did train a pro. Um, I was not a bad coach. I was very enthusiastic about, about what I did. I knew how to lift weights. But then I got the next professional athlete came to me and said, I heard, you, I heard you're training this professional fighter. I'm a professional boxer. Can you coach me? Yes, I can. Yeah. Uh, then I had two pros and then it grew. And it grew from MMA, boxing to professional NRL players. So NRL for the uh, non-Australians, uh, rugby, yeah. rugby league. So um, train a lot of rugby league players. And then I thought if I'm going to be training professional athletes and I'm not an athlete, I'm not good enough to be a footy player, or a, a, a fighter or any of these sports. What can I do? I want to uh, walk the talk and show my athletes the level of respect um, that I ask from them. So I thought, what can I do? And, you know, as a someone who lifts weights and trains to be good, I squatted and bench pressed and deadlifted a lot. And there's a sport that has all of those movements in it called powerlifting. So you just thought, fuck it, I'm going to outlift all of them. Yeah, I'm, well, I was, already I was already outlifting my athletes, which yeah. is why they came to me. They saw that I was strong and they yeah. saw that I was the coach of the pros. And then I thought, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and show people that I have what it takes to compete um, and, and train myself and dedicate myself and, and show this quality. So I became a powerlifter and I was an okay powerlifter um, early on in my years. So my first competition was uh, my, my daughter was a year old. Yeah, okay, yeah. At that point. Um, so I think I was 29 years old. I'm 42 now. So that was my first competition. Um, and I totaled 630 kilograms, which was a 230 kilogram squat. Took that to 375 in comp. Uh, 150 kilogram bench press. Yeah. Took that to 240. I've seen that video. That's and yeah. and uh, a, 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 one, a 250 kilogram deadlift. My best is 340 kilograms. So that was yeah. my weakness. But 340 is not that weak. I mean, that's still, yeah, still 140 kilos more than I've ever done. So, right. <laughs> so I, I would take that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, in my competition, that's what let me down. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, but still, it was like a huge strength increase in my time in 10 years, which is what I teach people, the 10-year game. Yeah, yeah. Something that I say a lot of is it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Mm. Uh, and this is, you know, in, in all my wisdom, something that I, I hear a lot of young people talking about. Uh, you know, as you say, you know, I, you know, I work hard and do all these things and maybe it's not the right thing. And I think, I think it is. I beg to differ. But there is a way of working hard and working smart yeah. and understanding that you don't need to have it right now. You probably can't get it right now. Yeah. Um, and, and these things do take time. So um, something that I loved seeing that Lionel Messi said yeah. um, is, you know, I just said it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Uh, he said the quote, it took me 17 years and 144 days to become an overnight success. Yeah. And it's like, that's a lot better than mine. Yeah. And, and he's a lot higher status of an athlete than anyone. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's top dog, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, and it takes time. It just illustrates that point. Um, but you better believe he put that work in. So, yeah. so I think that that is one of the attributes that is very common with anyone at the top of the top. But that's it. Natural talent is nothing without hard work. Um, you know, and the other thing is, we, we were talking about this, me and Musti, before on the way over here. Um, we were saying like discipline is so important, but
but you've also got to enjoy the thing that you're being disciplined at. Yeah. So you have to find something that aligns with you. Yeah. And obviously you sort of thought to yourself, what do I actually enjoy? Like I'm doing these different, I'm dabbling, but like, what do I like? What am I happy to show up every day and pursue? Mm. Um, so that then helps you build the discipline because at least even on the days we're like, I do not feel like getting under, like I can imagine like, I don't feel like getting under 250 kilos today. You're like, but actually it's pretty good fun. And like, I love it when everyone's here yelling and we have the music on and we got like the vibes and everything. And you're like, yeah, I think I can raise myself for that today. Like if everyone's going to be here and all that sort of stuff. So you actually get to combine all of those best of like four worlds really at the end of the day. With it, the it's, it's one of my priorities when it comes to successful coaching and being a successful athlete is enjoying what you do. Yeah. Because my formula for success is effort plus consistency times 10 years. Yeah, I now, like that. Now, for that to happen, you need to bloody well like what you do. Yeah. If you don't, you're not going to put the same level of effort and you're not going to stick it out for 10 years either. So, so training morale um, is at one of my highest priorities when it comes to your success with your training. So something, you know, when I write out a program, I'm the type of coach where it's not what I say goes. I come to a compromise with every single person that I work with to make sure that they are enjoying the process. If you're not enjoying the process, you're not going to stick it out. Yeah. No matter how much, you know, you get the people that say, I'm going to do this and that and the other, um, you know. I, I can... Might do for three months, might do for six months. But as you said, you know, 10 years is a long time to do something, to do one thing. Um, and you've really got to want to show up for that. You know, yeah. you've really got to want to have the bad days. You've really got to want to have the... Uh, what's the word like the trials and turbulations fuck that's a bit of a smart word for me but you know you got to have those like issues and be able to be willing to work through them for the the kind of gain at the end of it um so yeah i love that i love that what, what was it the the saying something by something by 10 years so yeah effort plus consistency times 10 years i love that so so you need the effort yeah. so which means you know like a lot of people say it's you know do i work hard or do i work smart it's both yeah you have to work hard um, but you know, the people that I see that work too hard too often, it's like you're kind of applying the effort in the wrong spot. Um, you know, knowing how to recover is also training hard. So, uh, the hardest worker in the world isn't the most successful person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's understanding where to apply it. Okay. They're not the richest people in the world. They're not the best athletes in the world. That's not what it takes. Hard work is such an incredible attribute to attain. But that's not all it involves. Exactly. Okay? So it's so it's um, you know no, knowing when to rest, knowing when to recover, knowing when to be patient, is something that I've learned in my time as well. I wanted everything now. You better believe I did. Yeah. I wanted to be the best many many years ago, but I just didn't have what it took. And you know this is where my approach to coaching people has, has evolved. It had to evolve. I used to you know think about what's the record. I need that in this prep. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. it's not going to happen, young man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and this is something that I didn't accept. And I worked for it. And this is where I'd, I'd do things like run my body into the ground and, and create injuries. And, and I wasn't able to progress. And yeah. it's a really nice sentiment to say, I want to be the hardest worker in the room. It's a really nice sentiment, but that's not what's going to get you to the top. Yeah. Okay. So understanding it is a process, understanding that you can achieve so much when you put those 10 years into it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to learn from a lot of that, but a lot of people don't just uh, take my word for it. Yeah. A lot of people need to experience it. And I, most of the people that I mentor, most of the people on my team are in their 20s and in their 30s, and I listen to their point of view. And instead of telling them, no, this is the facts, 
I know that people need to learn for themselves, you know, and I try and guide. I am a mentor for many, many coaches as well. Majority of my business is actually acting as a mentor for upcoming industry professionals or industry, current industry professionals. Yeah, sure. G- gym owners, online coaches, personal trainers. Uh, that's the majority of the people that actually pay me money. Um, and, and that's a part of being a teacher is letting people learn for themselves. I can guide you, but I can't force you to do anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I do think it is like, as I'm looking at you talking about all the things that you possess, which is the hard work and you don't want to leave stones unturned, uh, you know, make hay while the sun shines. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But there's a process. Yeah. And you're only going to learn that when you go through it. You're going to make mistakes. And something that I brag a lot about is I've made so many mistakes, probably much more than you. I don't, and I don't, I said probably definitely much more than you. And I just know that because I'm 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, it. and you're so young. If you were a similar age to me, I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, you know, and I think that people, you know, m- making mistakes, failing is is a huge part of success that a lot of people need to go through, and a lot of people that's going to stop them from from you know going to where they need to be, and then the successful people take it as a as a learning curve, and then they keep on moving forward. Well, that's something that uh, we were talking about podcasts before. We talk about Diary of a CEO podcast. It's something that Stephen Bartlett always talks about. You know, he says like this guy's built multi hundred million dollar businesses. And he says you have to just be willing to fail more than you succeed because all it takes is one success for your business to blow up. But that success might not happen until you've learned 10, 15 years of lessons yeah. and failings. You've got to keep showing up as you fail. Something I see with social media all the time at the moment is people being like, the algorithm hates me, this hates me, this hates me. I'm like, no, you just didn't post a good piece of content today. And that's okay because you can do it again tomorrow and you can get a little bit better. And then you learn from that. And it's like, oh, that piece didn't do so well either. Yeah, but why? But why? But why? Look at the failings. Look at why it didn't go well. And then all of a sudden something blows up in your business. It's like, oh, I've been using the wrong language for the last six months or whatever. All of a sudden you change the way that you word things and people resonate a lot more. You know, as with lifting as we have, it's like you could use the wrong technique for two years. Like, why does my shoulder hurt on the bench? All you had to do is move your elbow in a little bit. Oh shit, sick. Now I've got, I've learned the lesson because I looked at all those failings that I had. Mm. So yeah, hundred percent, you got to be willing to do a lot of that. And it's something that I think for myself right now, I'm learning that quite a bit. Like I've, I look at my year like candidly and I'm like, yeah, I've failed quite a lot this year. I've had quite a lot of like fuck ups along the way and stuff. But at the same time, I wouldn't be now in a really good position where I can interview people like yourself, where I can make content every day, where I have a business, where I coach people around the world. You know, I wouldn't be in any of those positions if I hadn't tried and fucked up and then learned from that and then been able to succeed in certain ways. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just so important, so important. But Baz, I'm cognizant of your time because it is a Friday night. I know you probably want to go home, get on the beers or something like that, man. So we will wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the people where they can find you. I'm sure most people know who you are, but where can they find you? How can they pay you money? Um, and also, where are you speaking at in April next year? Ah, that's a cool one. So that's uh, so. Firstly, you can find me at Australian Strength Coach. So at Australian Strength Coach, uh, Instagram is my main channel, but I'm working on my YouTube channel as well. So that's coming. Lots of great content coming we'll there stay. as well. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited for for creating that type of content. It's going to be consistent. It's going to be weekly, uh, and that's going to be at Australian Strength Coach as well. Um, in April next year, uh, we're doing Clean Health Live, which I'm I can't tell you how excited for I am. So last. Uh, no, it was actually this year we had Clean Health Live in Sydney and it was uh, one of the best, it was the best show that I've ever presented at by far. Um, it was so well organized and I got to present alongside of people that I look up to in the industry. So Lane Norton, um, Hattie Boydell, uh, Jackson Payos, 
uh, PT domination. This was in the last seminar. And now next year, we've got even more big names. So one of my favorites, uh, a good friend of mine, I did the podcast uh, podcast with him as well as YouTube videos, James Smith. Uh, he's hugely entertaining and I can't wait to watch him present. But yeah, I'm going to be presenting as well. So that's going to be the end of April and that's going to be in Gold Coast. Um, and I'm, I'm already preparing my presentations for then. I've got so many thoughts that are on the table at the moment uh, and I can't wait to deliver them. So that's going to be a cool event. So if anyone's in Gold Coast or if you're not in Gold Coast, get your way down there. Um, the beautiful thing about technology is it's all online anyway. So if you can't make it to Gold Coast, get it online. Um, and, and that's going to be not just me. Hey, I'm going to give some sick presentations. So yes, me as well. But, yeah. <laughs> but the other presenters there are going to be sick and, and I can't wait for that. But Hey, man, uh, don't worry about my time. I'm not getting on the beers tonight. These days, uh, it doesn't matter what day it is, Monday to Sunday. Every day is the same to me. Um, I, I'm working every single day, but I still make time for, for myself and my family uh, and doing great things like this and, and meeting and hanging out with people like you. So, mate, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for coming to Base Gym. And uh, I'd love to have you on my show when I get it up and running as well. Mate, I'd absolutely love to. Thanks awesome. so much for having us. Thanks so much for having us here. Guys, all his links will be down below. This will be on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. They'll all be down there as with my links, but you should hopefully already be clicking them already. Uh, yeah, I'll speak to you all in the next one. Cheers, Baz.